Welcome to the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast, where we talk about the clinical and practical issues that face those working in the mental health industry. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in for this week's episode of The Barrier Breakdown. My name is Erin Mellano-Bailey. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Cognitive Behavior Institute, and my co-host, Dr. Kevin Caridad, who is the CEO and owner of Cognitive Behavior Institute. This week on The Barrier Breakdown, we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Jessica Gold, who is an Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. In addition to teaching and research, Dr. Gold regularly writes and speaks about mental health topics, including provider burnout. Among others, her work has been featured on the New York Times, the Washington Post, and in Time. So welcome, uh, Dr. Gold. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, being here so that we can discuss a very important topic, which is provider burnout. So could you tell us a little bit about uh, what led you to start writing about the field of mental health and this topic? I mean, I guess I've been writing about mental health for a bit. I, you know, probably since I was a resident and was interested in psychiatry, but Um, you know, when you're observant about mental health and realizing that not a lot of other people are, there's not a lot of people writing in this space, you kind of have a different lens than other people, there are a lot of things missing. And this particular topic, the burnout idea, I was looking on Twitter, and a lot of the therapists on Twitter were really stressed out and saying things like they had really long wait lists and that people weren't really noticing them. And people were writing a lot in the popular press about how hard this has been on healthcare professionals and um, doctors, nurses, people like that on the front lines. And I think we often forget that we count as frontline people. And I started DM like direct messaging with some therapists being like, is this something that you feel like has been acknowledged? Do you feel like anybody has actually talked about you? Do you feel like anybody has mentioned that you're in the mix at all. And they're like, no, not at all. We don't even consider ourselves frontline workers. Like, why would we be in this conversation? And, you know, as a psychiatrist, I see people for medication mostly, but also refer for therapy, could see people for therapy and have noticed myself that my patients have really been, you know, struggling to get in to people and have had really long wait lists and have been, you know, coming back and saying, like, I tried to call like 30 people and I'm really struggling to find a therapist and being aware myself that that's really not the therapist's fault and it's a really bad system, but how it gets kind of conveyed is often on the therapist. So I really wanted to tell the story from that perspective. You're hearing a lot about that during the pandemic. Uh, I think even some of the messaging, if you look to New York early on, where they were trying to get all these resources to frontline workers, but therapists were asked to kind of volunteer for free, where there was a mixed message. Uh, I hear oftentimes now therapists saying that they don't feel they're efficacious. They just feel like they're not impactful. And because they're used to seeing people progress along a spectrum and, and people aren't staying still. And so looking at a new paradigm to that, can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I knew two of the people that started some of those frontline worker, free frontline worker nationwide therapy networks. And they said very similarly, like they really were happy to be doing things like that. And we're excited to be doing things like that. But at the same time, it is interesting that it's expected that they then are supposed to do that for free. (laughs) Um, You know, I think it makes sense. And they felt like they were giving back and they wanted to do that. 
But a lot of the thought of that being sustainable long term is like, how are they then supposed to give sessions long term? What is a what is an acceptable thing to ask of someone? How many sessions can you ask a therapist to donate? How many people can you ask them to pick up to, you know, donate? And it's hard stuff you're asking them to listen to, right? You're not asking them to pick up a patient that is okay. You're asking them to pick up a patient who's probably experiencing active trauma. So it's like, here's a free patient who's really struggling here. Enjoy that. Um, So I think that's really hard for people. And then, you know, on top of it, um, you know, they just in general tend to be left out of the conversation. And so for me, I have been seeing the same thing that you've been saying where people aren't getting better. My patients, I feel like medication works. I'm a big believer that medication works. I don't function in those space where medication is the only thing. And I definitely believe in like the holistic approach to everything, but I see college students and healthcare workers and they've often never been on medication before. So I often get people that it's their first time being on meds and I see meds do amazing things for people pretty quickly a lot of times. And I've just been seeing people pretty stagnant and it's really hurt me because I'm like, why is nobody better? Like, am I not in a field where people get better? And so I started to be really confused why I feel really ineffective and why I feel really like I'm doing something wrong now, or am I all of a sudden bad at my job or all of a sudden everybody really sick? But you know, like people really have these not changing psychosocial stressors, right? Like we're not changing the pandemic. We're not changing the active trauma that healthcare workers are experiencing. We're not changing the new school environment. We're not changing work from home. We're sitting with their pain and their suffering and their feelings, right? And that's hard. And having to say like, I actually can't fix that for people. I have to be there for people and absorb that. And at the same time, I'm experiencing a lot of those same stressors myself is really hard, I think, for people. Yes, you make very excellent points when it comes to the fact that nothing is is changing. And so we're kind of stuck in this proverbial Groundhog's Day over and over again um, as things progress. Uh, in your in your article, you mentioned that the therapist burnout is is also largely due to a broken mental health system. Can you share with our listeners a little bit of the changes that you envision that need to happen in order to help this system? A lot of changes. I mean, I think it's even hard to know exactly what they are. A one is a workforce. We need more people to go into mental health, and that's going to take a really long time. That can't be. That can't fix something today. I think people are often like, "What are we going to do when this pandemic is over?" And we already have a lot of people who have mental health needs, and we're going to have even more people who have mental health needs. How are we going to deal with those people? And I don't have a super great answer to that, to be honest, because we can't magnify all of these people so well. The best way to do that, I guess, would be to get rid of some of the licensing requirements for telehealth and make it easier for people to do like interstate telehealth so that like if you're in I'm in Missouri. For me to practice in Illinois, I had to get an Illinois license for my patient who's in Illinois, right? And I know it's very similar for therapists. So I think that that is a pain and that's just so states can make money. I think that that needs to be easier for people. I think a lot of the telehealth 
things that were passed to make it easier in COVID for therapists to make money doing telehealth, to stay doing telehealth, need to stay permanently for insurance reimbursement and to make sure you're getting actively paid for those things. Because I do think telehealth is not always the best solution. Not everyone loves it, but it does make it easier to magnify one person's reach. Um, And I think there are definitely forms of therapy that don't work as well in telehealth. And I think that telehealth has its own reasons that it leads to burnout. But I think there are ways that that magnifies reach. I think we need to encourage people to go into mental health with money or something. Maybe we pay back people's loans. Maybe we find ways to make the field make more money in the long run. I don't know. I think we need to be thinking about that. I, I think that we have to think about that, especially for people from underrepresented minority groups, because people specifically, if you look at what's going on in this country, like people specifically seek out people that look like them. And there's a lot of the black population in this country is tremendously affected by everything that's going on. And they need therapists that look like them and understand what it means to be exposed to racialized trauma. And I can do my best to listen and sit with that, but I'm white and I can understand as much as I can understand, but I will never understand. Right. And I think they need enough people to do that. Therefore we need to recruit and encourage. And some of that is exposure. Some of that is monetary reimbursement for going into the field, because why go through all this and not make money? I mean, it's not that you need money and people go into these fields for money, but if you're going to go through, like, let's say medical school and you get all the way through medical school and you could be a psychiatrist or a neurosurgeon and you're going to pay for your whole family who's at home and doesn't have hasn't been able to like afford food, you're going to want to be the neurosurgeon. Like it's just plain and simple. I mean, it's not that people are choosing fields for money. And every time you talk about these things, people are like, well, don't you do these things to help people? But I think that people don't realize that it's not like we're saying, give us so much money. It's just that when you compare apples to apples, people are going to pick the one that makes more money sometimes because they're trying to help their families or they're trying to help their communities. And also I think people forget that therapists like social workers are tremendously poorly reimbursed for what they do for how hard they work for the hours that they put in. And that's just ridiculous. Like that, that the salaries of social workers blow my mind every single day. And just like, I mean, there's a reason why people take cash for as therapists and don't want insurance reimbursement. And that's a whole nother thing that needs to be changed. We could do a whole no. podcast on that. <laughs> no, I hear you. I, I hear in Western PA, at least when you look at individuals that are coming out of school and part of they're in that frame of graduated, but have to get their hours. They're making mid thirties, uh, you know, and have families. That's not uh that, that is not great money to be able to do that if you're the only person working in the house. And you've gone, like you said, you have this debt of a master's degree and it, it just compounds. Uh, you know, uh, working in, in the high teams doesn't make sense, particularly when you're driving that kind of care uh, and some of those barriers. And I know in Pennsylvania that working on some of the things you talked about is looking at reimbursement. A lot of that has been more in the, the addiction field. Uh, but have you seen anything uh, else you think is important with regard to to burn out and what you're hearing therapists, their experiences, and what are other things you think could be helpful to help uh, mitigate or be a part of the solution? You know, I think some of it is like paperwork burden too. I think that 
therapists, psychiatrists, everybody, we do too much charting. <laughs> we, and a lot of the charting is not for us. It's for other people. Like we have some degree of charting that we need for us, which is who is this patient and what are they here for and what am I working on? But then there's a whole degree of charting that is like, I am writing this in case I get sued. And then there's a whole degree of charting that is I'm writing this for insurance companies or whoever. There's a lot of people we're writing charts for and it, it most of it is not for us. And that is burdensome. Um, and I think that that is a lot of work. And, you know, I think that you're doing a lot of things like calling insurance companies to get your client covered is my understanding is like trying to get people to be in your network, trying to even get approved as an in-network provider. All these sorts of things are a lot of work for no reason. Um, various people's sessions all of a sudden don't get covered. And then you're on the phone for hours with insurance companies and things like that, which sound like really just stupid. Like all of those things to me, like are not though anything that's not in line with a purpose or like the reason you actually went into the field that you're in is going to burn you out. Right. Like purpose is very much most research would suggest that the more time you spend on whatever your purpose for going into the thing is, is going to make you much more like, like, much less likely to burn out. Right. And so in medicine, like, you know, that's working on patients for the most part. Right. So the more time you can spend doing the things that you enjoy, like things that you went into this for, the more time you're going to be excited about it. So you can remove all that other stuff. You're happier about it. I think more control also helps. So like less like feeling like you like don't have control over like your schedule or like people are like doing that. You're like taking over that and telling you what to do matters too. I think there's a reason a lot of people go into private practice, even though it's very annoying to have to do that because you have to manage your own everything, but it's like you get to manage your own schedule and somebody is not like doing all of this for you and like controlling your day and telling you when you start and stop and how many people you have to see. And, you know, like, it's just, that's stressful. Like that's a lot. And I think that part of it is causes burnout. And then people are like, well, why am I doing this? If someone tells me what type of therapy with what person in what setting that I have to do this, that's stressful. I mean, I worked in a college, like a undergrad for a long time and the therapist there, the model mm -hmm. there is always short-term care and the therapists there love the population, want to be doing that, but they don't want to do short-term care on anybody. Like you can't do very much in that at all, but the patients don't like it either. But at the same time, there's so many people that need it, that that's like what everybody's decided is the best model in the college, but everybody's upset. The patients are upset. The, the therapists are upset and the therapists are burning out because everybody's sick and everybody's like the wait lists are crazy long and they're just trying to shuffle people out of there. So it's just like, a, it's a system problem. And I think it's trying to figure out how to fix those things that'll help people in the long run. Yeah, you know, I think one point and then a final question. I was just speaking with someone two days ago here in uh, Southwest Pennsylvania and they see Medicare clients and they bill Medicare, Medicaid, sorry. And one of the things that you have to do here is these encounter forms and you have to have certain information. But there were some minor things like uh, they didn't identify that there's a pandemic and that's why they're using uh, that's why they're using virtual. Uh, and they went and pulled. They're asking this individual to pull back eight or and the other, another individual fifteen thousand dollars to pay back, which is unbelievable. It almost seems like they're using these tools not to be helpful to verify, but also as a punitive measure to claw back money, which is what she said. These are the most vulnerable populations in Medicaid population. Uh, and, and the government, whoever sees them, I don't think are doing necessarily 
the best thing uh, possible. And so I think that speaks to uh, what you were saying. And I, th my last question eludes me at the moment uh, here that I had in my mind. Erin, do you have any questions while I try to pull that one back? No problem. No, I think this was all great. I think our listeners, you know, are can appreciate and they are living through exactly what you talk about, Dr. Gold. So I think that hopefully there is some advocacy that can be done as a result of the pandemic uh, for the things that you spoke about with regard to higher reimbursements from insurance companies, uh, perhaps less hoops to jump through on the paperwork side or the auditing side or the billing side, um, as well as you know, increased access to care long-term by these yeah. insurance companies who temporarily gave the coverage extensions and temporarily gave you know, telehealth to be a covered benefit. So I think everything uh, you mentioned is all things that you know, we would like to see happen. And I'm hope hoping that that is the case. Um, and you yeah. know, I think collectively as an industry, uh, perhaps some of these national organizations can also put their weight behind you know, advocating for those things when it comes to the NAS SW, um, you know, the, the different associations of, of therapists, LMFTs, social workers, and even psychiatrists, because you're exactly right that some things need to change so that people can continue to go into this field so that resources can be available for, for people who need it, because there, yeah. there is a shortage and, and, you know, nothing else can, can help that. So, I mean, I think the only thing I would add to that is that you also need to advocate for yourself and that even though you're very sad that there's a long wait and you're very stressed out that there's a long wait and you want to serve as many people as possible, you have to factor yourself into the equation. We're really bad at that. And one of the things that I figured out in talking to a bunch of therapists was that it took burning out for them to realize they were burned out. And I don't think that that's super helpful. I think it's the same with me. I mean, I went through the half the pandemic and I was like falling asleep every day after work. And my personal therapist was like, what do you mean like you're falling asleep every day after work and like was echoing it back to me and I was like I just don't understand like I sleep at night and I'm fine and I don't get it and she's like so you're telling me you're a frontline worker taking care of frontline workers in a pandemic and all of a sudden my brain was like oh I'm burnt out and I'm like that's ridiculous I talk about burnout I write about burnout I research burnout and I'm a like a, you know, healthcare provider, like how did I not put all that together? Right. But it's just that we, we almost just like, it, we distance ourselves so much from those words. We distance ourselves so much from how it affects us. And it was almost just like, I'm just tired. I must be sick or something. Right. Like, I think it's really important. You know, when I was talking to people, they were like, you know, all of a sudden I, you know, I added a session here. I added a weekend here. I added an old client back here. And then all of a sudden I was miserable and exhausted and I'll, and I messed up and I had to like backtrack and say, oops. And I think we do need to be able to say like, this is where my boundaries are. This is where my limits are. And it's not our fault that the system's broken. We can advocate for it to change. And it's important that we do because if we don't like who is and our voices are the best in it because we have the most experience with it. And we can say from personal experience, like here are the ways in which it's broken. Here are the ways that I've come up against the brokenness. Here's how it affects me. Here's how it affects patients. Right. But if we, it's also not our problem to like basically fillet ourselves <laughs> to, to right. satisfy the broken system. Right. So we also have to say like, just, I need a break. Like I need vacation. I'm not taking 
hundreds of extra patients because there's wait lists. I do need to make a wait list. Like it, it's horrible because all we want to do is help people, but it's also not our fault. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being with us. This has been super helpful and we look forward to more of your research and writing on burnout and self-care and you know how to identify it. I think you made an excellent point there. Um, so those are all very helpful topics. So thank you so much for taking the time and, and being here with us. Of course. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much to our listeners for the barrier breakdown of this week's episode. We hope you all stay safe and healthy. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health. Listeners can find all of our episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. For more information and to learn about upcoming continuing education events, check out our website, cbicenterforeducation.com, our Facebook pages, Cognitive Behavior Institute, and CBI Center for Education, as well as our Instagram at Cognitive Behavior Institute, and our Twitter at CBI underscore Pittsburgh. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We hope you'll tune in for another guest next week.